Our reading is from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And Father, we thank you that you go with us, that you lead us forward, that when we face these challenges, we know that you will take us by the hand, that you will guide us and take us deeper than our fears, our failings, our nervousness would ever take us. In Jesus' name, amen. They're quite challenging songs, aren't they? I will offer up my life in spirit and truth. Because of all you've done, Jesus, I want to give back to you. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters, wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Saviour. That is what we are about. That is about the challenge of responding to all that God has given us. And today we're thinking about what it means to share our lives, to share all the things that we own, to share with one another, to live in community and what that might look like. And we've heard our passage from Acts. And if you want to have that open in front of you, it's on page 1096. I find these some of the most challenging verses that I have read in Scripture. And they, we read them quite a lot. They're well-known verses, and it's a lovely picture of the early church living together in community, sharing with one another and what that meant to them. And it's hard. I love to read it. But it's hard to know what does that mean in my life? What does that mean for me today? And I have found preparing for today challenging because of the issues that underlie it and you'll discover more as we go through as to why I find this difficult. I want to start with the refugee crisis which has been challenging us all not least because we don't know what to do. We're used to knowing what to do aren't we but here is a situation where we see a great deal of need and we've seen some pictures that torment us and it's not easy to know what to do. There are various ways in which we can, and if you were here last week, I was encouraging you to look at the Guildford Diocesan website where there's a whole range of resources because for each one of us we will respond in different ways. But we see need and we know that we have plenty. And somehow the two aren't matching up. And there's a whole lot of politics involved as well, which is hard to work out what to do. But there is something about our world where there are things that are not right 
And what the passage in Acts is saying is that this is not how it should be. As God's people here on earth, there should be nobody in need. So the refugee crisis has been very much on my mind and it's been around on our televisions and on the radio. And I happened to be driving somewhere this week um, for quite a long time. I was about half an hour and I managed to listen to a whole of a radio programme on Radio 4. And it was about, it was linked to the refugee crisis of now, but it was interviews with people who were involved in the um, Vietnamese boat people refugee crisis of some time ago. And it was looking at history to try and understand how to respond today. And it was a really interesting program and hearing about what it was like for, for those Vietnamese boat people um, coming and then living and living a life here and people who've now lived in this country since then. And as I listened to it, it reminded me of a previous refugee crisis, which was when um, Idi Amin was in Uganda and the Asians living in Uganda were told to leave. With very little notice, they had to get out of the country. And it's had devastation for Uganda ever since because a lot of those Asians were the ones who were holding down the good jobs and were maintaining the economy of the country. But Idi Amin didn't want them in his country anymore and they had to leave. At that time, I was young. I was probably six or seven. And I was living in a place called Cumbernauld. I don't know if you've ever heard of Cumbernauld. It's a new town outside Glasgow. It actually recently has the, uh, a reputation of the, the one town in the country that people want to blow up in its totality. But that's beside <laughs> the point. <laughs> when I lived there, it was still relatively new. It came to be in the 1950s. And it came out of um, post-war Glasgow, where a lot of the tenements in Glasgow were non we were non-habitable anymore. And there was a great move, and there was in England too, with places like um, Stevenage and Wellingarden City for, for new towns arising. And Cumbernauld was one of seven new towns in Scotland to rehouse people from Glasgow who were living in terrible situations into a new town. And I was living there. My dad was uh, an Episcopalian priest, which means an Anglican vicar, but it wasn't called a vicar. He was um, in Scotland, um, Anglican, and we were in a church in Cumbernauld. And Cumbernauld, as a corporation, agreed to take a large number of the Ugandan-Asian families who'd had to leave Uganda. And each church was assigned a family to care for and looked after. They were given a house, and because it was a, a corporation, that was possible. There was lots of empty houses. And they were given a house, and we were to look after them. And I have very, very vivid memories of that. So it took me back to my family photo album. This is where we can have a look into my past. So if you can have the first one up. This was part of the family who we looked after. Um, this is my mum and me in the middle and my two younger brothers. And I, sadly, I can't remember their names. I do remember that the older girl was called Manjula, and I can't remember any of the other names. But there was a, a mother and a father. There was an older brother and two daughters. And they had to leave all that they knew. I, I guess I was probably, actually, I was maybe seven or eight in that picture. But I have very strong memories because I'd never met anybody like them before. And I remember the strange clothes, as I thought, that the mother wore. She wore her sari all the time. And they told us about life in a different place. 
And they came to Cumbernauld, which um, has also been known as numb and cold. (laughs) It was on top of a hill, and it was really freezing cold. So you can imagine, for these people moving to a different culture, what that was like. And we found furniture for them. We helped them, in our own little way, to readjust. And they would come to our house quite often and just come and be with us as a family. I do remember the mother once made us Bombay mix. I mean, we'd never had anything like that in our lives. My middle brother, Stephen, I thought it was wonderful. It was far too spicy for me. But, you know, it was just this interesting food. And that was her way of of returning the favour. She said, I want to make you some of my food. And so she came to our house with all these spices and made this for us. But that was a way in which the church at that time responded to a need and a crisis and shared lives. And I'm sure it wasn't easy for either. It wasn't easy for the family who'd had to leave everything. And it wasn't necessarily easy for us because this was a strange culture with a strange language. They didn't speak English to begin with. But we wanted to embrace them and to welcome them in as best we could. So I had that strong memory as I was driving along, thinking, gosh, that was quite a big thing that that church did. That was quite a big thing that we did as a family. But because you're a child, you just go along with it. And then I started thinking about some of the other things that my family, that my parents did. And I'm going to show you some more pictures. But this is why I've been finding it challenging, because I realized how much my parents did in the sense of what I read in the book of Acts. And I don't. So I want to share with you some of the other things that my family, my parents did. So that's the next picture. I'm even younger in this one. You've got to spot me. I've got the little blue coat on in the middle. And my mum is in the back in the white jumper. And as I say, we lived in Cumbernauld, which had come out of Glasgow. And you may have heard of the Gorbals. And the Gorbals was really a bad place in Glasgow. And these were children from the Gorbals who we took to have a holiday in Cumbernauld. That shows how bad it is to think that, you know, come to Cumbernauld for a holiday. But actually, they were really desperate children. I mean, they look, you know, they all came in their smart clothes. I look back at this and think, goodness me, somehow they got dressed and special clothes to come on this holiday. This is actually at Stirling Castle on a day out. And my, uh, again, as a church, we housed these children for a a week or a fortnight's holiday. I can't remember this, but my mum has told me about it. And they had um, two brothers, the two boys at the front, come and stay in our house. And there was me and my brother would have been a baby, and my other brother wasn't born at that stage. And they came for a week or two weeks. One of the boys stole some money from my mum's purse while they stayed with us. And she would tell us about that and the sadness about how that was in opening up her home. But the desperate need of this little boy who had an opportunity in front of him and couldn't resist it. But again, the challenge of what does it mean to share our lives? It isn't always easy to do that. And I thought when I had a toddler and a baby, would I bring in two little boys from the east end of London who might steal something? Probably not, but my mum and dad did. And I thought, well, I took that for granted. Next picture. As I say, Cumbernauld was a new town. And living, we were slightly unusual. We had a house on its own next to the church. But across the road from us was rows of houses. And there were um, families in every house. And my mum counted up how many children there were at one point. It was something like 45 children living in the vicinity. 
And a lot of them spent time in our house. And this other, um, this is my brother and myself. And a little girl with a blue ribbon in her hair wasn't one of our family. She lived across the road. She was called Janice Castles. And she would often be in our house. And see how she's holding on to my mum's arm. And that sense, and I looked at that and thought, gosh, she felt really at home in our house. And a lot of the children would come over, and a lot of them would be sent over because they thought my mum was a good influence. They'd say to her, oh, we're sending my daughter over you because you'll teach her how to bake. And there was another boy across the road who would never get out of bed. And so Mrs. McCall, she was called, she had come over, Kitty McCall, and she says, oh, Mrs. McIntyre, Mrs. McIntyre, you've got to come. Charles won't get out of bed. You've got to come and get him out of bed. So my mum would have to go over, climb the stairs to come on, Charles, you've got to get out of bed for your mum. You know, it was this bizarre scenario where because we were the church family, the minister and his wife and children, we had this role where we shared lives much, much more than we do in Surrey. Doors were always open. Children in and out, children out playing. When we moved in, I was uh, two and a half and my brother was a baby. And my mum's first experience was Janice's younger sister, younger brother called Johnny, who had uh, um, had another sister called Susan, who was a baby in the same age as my brother. He turned up with a baby Susan in a wheelbarrow, knocked on the door as the removals van was there unloading stuff, and said, hey, missus, can I take your bairn for a walk? And the idea that my mum would put her baby in this wheelbarrow and would get pushed around as well. So she said, no, thank you, dear. Um, But it was that sort of life of mixing and sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly. You knew everything. There were no secrets. There were small houses, lots of people in each house. And you knew everything. And there was a sense of community and sharing. And I think it must have been really hard for my mum and dad. But that's all we knew. That was all we got used to. There's another picture, but before I show the other picture, I have two other memories without photographs. There was a a mum and her baby, and the mum was um, a a victim of domestic abuse. And so she came and stayed with us for a while. And I remember the baby, who was called Joseph, and I would get up in the morning and go and and look at this baby. And she came and stayed for a little while. I don't remember this, but my mum has told me this, that, again, members of the congregation... um, the, the husband was um, jailed because he had um, uh, for sex abuse with boys at school and so the wife and daughter in their trauma came and stayed with us for a while. I don't remember that but I do remember the family and then I've got an, a final picture this is us in Glasgow and the boy in very smart boy, the suit and the tie is about 16 in that picture believe it or not but he was called John, and my parents fostered him for a year because he was in a children's home, and he kept running away, and they couldn't take him anymore, and there was nowhere else for him to go. And so my parents fostered him for a year, and he stayed with us. And again, at that age, you take it all for granted. And again, I think back, and that was a big thing that they did. That's all my family pictures for now. This passage in Acts, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. What a picture. 
What a picture of how life should be. Of what it means to respond to the generosity of what God has given us in sharing our lives, in sharing our possessions, in sharing our homes, so that nobody was in need. And I've often read that and thought, well, it was easy for them in those days. Somehow I have this gloss over history and think, that was easy, because that's what they did. And they were all living in that way together. But the more I have learned about the early Christian times, the more I realize that actually it was no more easy for the early Christians as it is for us. There were much stricter divisions in those early Christian days. People were in their own groups, separated out. And here was a group of people coming together and breaking down some of those divisions. They were responding because of what they had experienced. This is shortly after Pentecost, when they'd been filled with the Spirit. And filled with the Spirit, they grow together and become a joy-filled, worshipping community. Life in itself wasn't easier for some of these things, but the strength of conviction and the strength of the witness of the Spirit in them allowed them to do it. But the divisions that existed were tight divisions. And here was the group of people saying, no longer are we living according to the divisions that society is imposing. We are one together. And that is massive. Because already I've told you about divisions. I've told you about divisions. In Uganda, you know, the Asian people were not wanted in that country. And coming to Cumbernauld, They were still different. As much as you would try to be together, there are still differences and cultural differences and language differences that make life hard. I've told you about the children from the Gorbals. And much as we think we're open and try to be as as sort of together as possible, we still have that sense and sometimes a fear when there are people that we don't fully understand who are coming from a different background and might scare us in some way. There are divisions. In the early church, possessions were a sign of status. They're pretty much a sign of status now, aren't they? Even more so then, because they had fewer possessions. So if you did have possessions, that made you who you were. So to begin to share them was a massive thing to do. And human nature was still the same. Again, we look back over history through rose-tinted spectacles and think, well, they found it easier to share because they were more open to sharing. No. Human nature is the same. From the first century to now, we are the same people. So when we read that they were one in heart and mind, that was not easy. That took work. It took conviction. It took the power of the Spirit to do it. And that's what it takes for us today. I was going to show you two video clips. They're not working, and that doesn't matter. I'll tell you what was in them, because it's another challenge. There are stories of people living today who have made some choices about how to live in the way that they understand this passage. The first one was a story of a lady called Bethan. And Bethan and her husband, young married couple, decided, living in a lovely part of London, decided with others to move 
to more difficult parts of London and to support the local church there. Not just to travel in and go to the church, but to live there. And to live in community with open doors. Coming alongside the people who they encountered and met. And being a living witness in that community. So they left their really lovely house and went somewhere that wasn't quite so lovely in order to live as they felt God was calling them. Now that's a big challenge, isn't it? Not everyone is called to do that, but Bethan heard that call and she and her husband and this other couple uprooted themselves from the lovely aspect of where they were to somewhere more difficult. And Andy was the other video. Andy a working man who chose very early on in his working career that he only wanted to work part-time and negotiated with his firm to work four days a week only because he wanted time and he wanted to be able to use his time in different ways. And all the time that he has been working, he's used that extra day for a whole host of reasons. Sometimes it's been to be with his own children. Sometimes it's been to do voluntary work. But whatever, however he has used it, he's realized that the gift of that day meant more than the salary that he would earn for that day. And interestingly, his career has never got stuck as a result. And he actually thinks that because he's got outside interests, he's actually more rounded and is able to give more to his career in the four days. And he's a senior partner. And he says, actually, it's enhanced my working life. How are we making choices about how we share our lives, our homes, our possessions, our time? It's a massive challenge. I can't do what my parents did. I haven't done what my parents did. And I look back and think, why haven't I done that? And there are some obvious reasons. I think Cumbernauld at that time was a particular place and a particular season. For many of those people, there was nowhere else. The church was the only place to turn to. And if my parents hadn't opened their doors, these people would have had nothing. I haven't been in that situation. I signpost people to other things. Because there have been other opportunities. And I've been able to say, I think you could get some help here. Or let me find out for you some advice about this. So the need hasn't been quite the same, but that's not an excuse. I think, actually, I'm a little bit proud because I like to welcome people into my home on my terms when the house is tidy, when the children are well-behaved, when I have made a nice meal because then people see me at my best. And actually, I don't want people to see me at my worst. I don't want them to really realise how many cobwebs I've got in my house. That my children can be really badly behaved. Not now, but when they were little. Possibly now, but you wouldn't see it. (laughs) But do I want... Because I think people will judge me by the outward appearances. And I think I have limited my means of living as I think God calls me to live because I'm quite proud Because I want people to see the best of me. And that means keeping some barriers up around me. Because once people 
begin to have a bit of me, that's quite scary as well. What are they going to do with it? Will they really think I'm a terrible mother? Will they be going telling other people, you should see what Debbie's done with her kids. Is that what I want? No. And so some barriers come up. And I think the challenge of the Acts passage is that we need to live with some of those barriers down. The the choices we make about how we live our lives, the more we want to become a community of God's family, the more we have to be prepared to let down some of those barriers. So people need to be able to see that I'm not as confident as I might appear when I stand up here Sunday by Sunday. And I hope you're beginning to realise that that isn't the case. I am not massively confident. God does something in me. And God gives me the power to do what he has asked me to do. But I am a fearful person. I don't go on roller coasters. I would love to be able to do one of these skydiving things. But I am so scared I couldn't possibly do it. I'm a fearful person. But you don't often see that because I come and I dress smartly and I have a smile and I can speak. And you don't always see what is going on behind. I think there is a challenge for us to let some of those barriers down. For people to be able to see who we really are. Because only when we do that do we begin to share. I started this sermon preparation thinking about how we share possessions and I think I've got quite a nice easy task list of some of the things that we might do practically yes we could share some of our possessions we've got a hedge trimmer so if anyone wants to borrow that you're very welcome to and then I thought actually that's far too easy that is really easy because that's not about me you can come I mean our house is stuffed full of things I'm sure yours is too my boys have left and the house is still stuffed full of things. Johnny took with him, it uh, mustn't be rude about him, but we laugh about the number of pairs of shoes he has. He fills an Ikea blue bag with shoes. He said, more, he's got more shoes, Paul reckons, than Paul's had in his lifetime. <laughs> we have loads of things in our houses, don't we? Every kitchen appliance possible. Do we need all of those things? Could we share them? Could we actually give some things away? Yes, we could. When it comes to harvest in two weeks' time, we're going to um, be more information about this next week, but we're going to um, give an offering to the food bank. And it's easy for us to be able to contribute and to give things away, to share what we have had with others, to share our money. Sometimes that is actually, it's not always easy. But I just felt today that that was too easy an option to say, What God is asking us to do is to share, to share our possessions, to share our cars, to share our bikes, whatever it might be. And that is part of it. But I felt the deeper challenge is about sharing our lives, opening up our front doors and saying, come and see me whenever you want to. Take me however I am. If I'm feeling really sad, see that. And let me be honest about that. Because God calls us to live together. And he calls us to be his family. And in a family, 
You see everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I just wonder whether he's saying to us, you are a precious family here in Wanish. Let down some of the barriers. Share the joys. Share the challenges. Share the sadnesses. You don't have to be perfect. It's better when we're honest that we're not perfect because we are works in action. God is working in us. He is transforming us and he hasn't finished yet. And sharing together allows us to see that work in progress. I do think God is saying something very precious to us. We should have nobody in need amongst us because we should be honest. We should be honest when we are in need to be able to say, I am in need. And we should be willing to share from the excess that we have. We should be willing to share our lives so that there's nobody who's lonely. We should be able to pick up a phone and say, I need some company today because I'm feeling really rough. Come and help me. And it won't be with everybody. But I think the challenge that God is giving us is sharing. Sharing with one another and sharing our lives together. All the believers were one in heart and mind. Can we be that fellowship together in heart and mind? Let's just be quiet for a moment. Heavenly Father, you give us so much. You give us life. Life in all its fullness. And in response to that, we want to give back. And we want you to help us to know what that looks like. How we use our time. We are so busy. And yet you give us time. What can we give back to you? You want us to share our homes, our possessions, our lives. Show us how we can do that in a real way. In a way that is right for us here in this place. And as we do that, may that be a shining light to our communities around us. Who are also longing for true fellowship, true community. May they see that in us and be drawn to it and through it to you, the giver of all. How great thou art. Thank you. Amen.